0: Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And our text this morning will be 2 Corinthians 12:7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I'll give you just another moment or two. Go ahead and find it. Take take your time and we'll wait on you. I want you to read this beautiful, beautiful passage with me together. Read it silently. I'll read it aloud. The word says... And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast or glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a passage. We sang, I think, the first song this morning. This is My Father's World, and it talks about rocks and trees and skies and seas and lilies fair and birds giving glory to God I want to talk to you today about a flower. I'm not an expert on flowers, as uh, my mama or my wife can testify. Sometimes I make some hilarious mistakes about flower names. But we had some April showers, didn't we, yesterday? And what is it April showers bring? They bring the, the May flowers. and Of course, you know what May flowers bring, right? Pilgrims, that's right. Ha, ha, ha. Pilgrims, yeah, pilgrims. But this flower I have in mind is a particular kind of flower. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount to consider the lilies, how they toil not, neither do they spin, and yet even Solomon in all his glory did not have the beauty, was not arrayed like one of these flowers. And Jesus says, if God... So clothes the grass of the field, which today is and is tomorrow cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? So we're meant to look at the flowers and we're meant to learn something from them. We're meant to learn if God spends that much attention on flowers, what must he have in mind for me? Because you are of more value than many sparrows and you are of more value than the lilies. And he gives great attention to them. So this is our Father's world, and if we have the wisdom, everywhere we look, we can see something of God there, because it's all his creation. Everything he made can teach us something. Do you remember the passage in Proverbs where he says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and learn from her? If you're tempted toward laziness, go sit at the anthill a while and watch and think about it and pray over it. You'll learn, don't be lazy. The ant's not lazy. Learn from this little creature. Or if you pass by a field that's overgrown with weeds, like Proverbs 24 says, learn what negligence will cause. If you're negligent, weeds will overrun your field. you got to stay on top of things. you got to be attentive. you got to get the weeds out. you got to give attention to it. Otherwise, the field will just fall into a condition where it can't be a, a, of use to anybody. So we're going to consider a flower today. It's called the queen of the night, or some call it the night-blooming Sirius. It's a flower that blooms at night, and this is odd, isn't it? Why would God make a flower that only blooms in the dark? And yet that's this flower. It's native to the desert of the southwestern United States and Central America, it has a beautiful six-inch bloom. And one person described it as having a heavenly scent. And I like that. And I'm going to use that in the sermon. A heavenly scent. Similar to, the, the writer went on to say, similar to a magnolia or a gardenia. So this night-blooming Sirius, or the queen of the night as it's nicknamed, is a member of the cactus family. And why would God, in his great wisdom, make a flower that only blooms in the dark? And I wonder if it's because God loves the insomniac. God knows some people will not be resting at night, and so he makes them a little treat in the dark. If they get up in the dark and sleep flees them, and they have the opportunity to look, there is something in the dark there that somebody will get to enjoy that most people will sleep right through and they won't even see it. This beautiful night-blooming flower. Of course, if uh, no one sees it, God sees it. Perhaps God made it for himself. A beautiful flower that gives glory to him, and he was pleased to make it just for his own enjoyment, perhaps. But it won't bloom in the light. It'll only bloom in the dark. So I want to talk to you this morning about Beautiful things in the dark. Beautiful things in the dark. And when I use this term dark or night, I'm not using it as the Bible most often uses it. What does the Bible most often refer to when it refers to the night or darkness? It's referring to what? Almost all the time. Sin, error, confusion, uh, deception, hell. Hell is called outer darkness. But I want to use the metaphor of dark or or nighttime in another sense, not in the most common sense of sin and error and blindness. I want to use it in the sense of troubles, difficulties, trials, hardships, uncertainty, I want to use it in the sense of Isaiah 45, 7. Let me just read that to you. Isaiah 45, 7. God says, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Our God is God. He can do as he wishes, can he? He can bring forth light or he can bring forth darkness. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, what do we read? And God divided the day from the night. He, made the, he called the day, the time when the period, the period when the, the sun would prevail, he called that time daytime. And he called the other part of the day night. And the evening and the morning were the first day, Genesis chapter 1. God made the light. God made the daytime. God also made the nighttime. God made the dark. So that's the Sense in which I want us to approach this now as we think about beauty in the dark. I'm talking about the metaphor for hardship and trouble that Christians go through. Uh, In a sense, this has been a dark world since Genesis chapter 3 when man and woman ran out of the path of obedience, when they departed the right path and they listened to satanic counsel and they fell into sin, it got dark. Trouble began to brew. Thorns began to pop forth from the ground and Adam began to die. And everywhere they looked, there was toil and trouble and suffering and hardship and eventually death. So... What can happen at night that's any good? Is there any good thing that can come out of the dark? Well, if you'll think with me a minute, I think you'll pick up maybe on a heavenly scent. Something beautiful in the dark. Something that will bloom not in the night or not in the daytime, but in the nighttime. Paul is speaking of such a thing. Paul is referring here to some kind of thorn in the flesh and we don't know exactly what that was. If you read the commentaries, some will say that messenger of Satan that brought a thorn in the flesh to the apostle Paul was the false teacher in Corinth that was trying to disrupt and bring great damage to the church and everything Paul would teach. He would go behind Paul and undermine Paul's teaching. There was false apostles in the church at Corinth and some say that's his thorn in the flesh. These false teachers were causing him great concern. Some say he was under great psychological grief and sorrow as a church-planting missionary in the Roman Empire of the first century. It was hard. And everywhere Paul went, he met with hardship. And he was right in the middle of God's will. And it was very hard to go. So sometimes walking with Jesus and doing exactly what he wants us to do does not mean it's going to be smooth and easy. In fact, sometimes if we're faithful, it'll be the opposite of smooth and the opposite of easy. In this world, you will have what? Tribulation, Jesus said. So some say it was Paul's emotional state, his psychological burden that he felt, the sorrow and the burden of trying to start churches in the Roman Empire in the first century. Some say it was a a satanic attack of some sort, a literal demonic attack upon Paul. That may have brought him some kind of chronic physical problem. And that's where I land, as most commentators do, that are evangelical commentators. They say it was a chronic physical ailment that was so severe that it almost knocked Paul out of circulation. It is so debilitating and so hard that he seeks the Lord with all his might. Not once, not twice, but three times that God might remove it. And eventually God says to him, no. It was an answer to prayer. It wasn't the answer he wanted. But it was an answer to prayer, wasn't it? Sometimes God answers our prayers differently than we want But he's got a plan. And his thorns are purposeful. They serve a purpose in God's people's lives. There will be beauty that comes in this dark season. There will be good things that come about. I think about some good things God has done in the dark. I've got a book in my library that's entitled, God Works the Night Shift. And the whole point of that little book is while we're asleep and powerless and doing nothing but recovering from the day, God is holding the universe in his hand, and God is working all things after the counsel of his will, and God is doing amazing things all the time, day and night. Psalm 74, 16 says, the day is his, and the night is his also. The day is his, and the night is his also. When Jesus was born, it was night, I assume, because the announcement came to the shepherds, remember? They were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord comes, and the glory of the Lord shines, and he says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. This shall be the sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they went, and they found it. They found the saying to be true. They found the Messiah was born. Whether he was born while the light was still shining on the earth, I don't know. But the birth announcement came at night. And I think he was born at night. The manna fell at night in the Old Testament. And they would get up in the morning and gather in the manna the fresh bread every morning. While they slept, God was blessing them with bread from heaven. When Jesus died, it was night. You say, no, it wasn't. From noon until three, there was darkness over all the land. It was daytime that turned into nighttime. The sun hid its face. The Savior is lifted up on a cross and he bears the wrath of God and the sun turns away. And the songwriter said, well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin." So if he was born in the dark and he died in the dark, what about his resurrection? Early before dawn on the first day of the week, the women come and they find the stone already moved. So sometime early before sunrise, the Savior on the first day of the week after the Sabbath was passed comes out of the grave. So if you put all that together, beloved, while it was dark, while man was blinded by his lack of vision. He couldn't see. It was night time. He was asleep. He was preparing for sleep. The Savior comes. The Savior dies. The Savior rises. In Matthew 14, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus is walking on the water to come to his disciples. The last watch of the night, the darkest period of the night before the dawn, Jesus comes walking on the water to his disciples. So I want us to think today about the dark times in our life, the night seasons. We can only see the stars at night. They're still there. They're there right now. We just don't get to see them until it gets dark. And God gives us those lesser lesser lights to rule the night, the moon and the stars. There are some things we can't see until it gets dark. We want to see, but we don't see well. And then things get dark, and then we get a perspective. We see things we didn't see before. So I pray that you will be encouraged today. What is your night season? Are you alone, lonely? I know widows and widowers that lose a mate. Of many years, perhaps. And they can't even describe the loneliness. Some of you know it well. You know it better than I do. Maybe it's a night season of great disappointment. You had a plan. You had a goal. You had a dream. And everything looked like it was falling into place. And then everything fell apart. It's not going to happen. You say it's so dark. It is a dark time in my life. It's a night season. Maybe that's the darkness that you're in. Maybe you felt the sting of betrayal. This is a treacherous world full of traitors and full of hurtful people, people that don't keep their word, people that are apparently enjoy hurting others. If we could right now, and I'm glad we can't, If we knew everything that was going on right at this moment in this world of people that were being abused and harmed and hurt, it'd make us so sick, so angry. We wouldn't be able to enjoy a moment's peace. And I'm glad only God knows those things and he's going to deal with them. But maybe you felt some of that, that sting of betrayal, that sting of, of treachery. I know Christians that are diseased in their body. They've enjoyed health many years and now there's a new new season. Uh, a nighttime has come and their body doesn't work like it's supposed to, like it used to. And it's hard. It's very, very hard. And I know some people can come along and just say words and minimize it, you know. And, but it, it, it doesn't minimize it. The pain is there and the battle is there and it's daily and it goes on and on and on. But it's not going to go on forever. Praise God. It's not going to go on forever. But it's real. It's a night season. It's dark. Job 35.10 says he gives songs in the night. He gives songs in the night. A Christian, even if it's dark, has within him or her a joy that the darkness can't snuff out, a hope that can't be destroyed. Our hope is Christ. Our joy is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And let it get dark. If it's dark, so dark as it was in Egypt, when God brought the plague of darkness upon the Egyptians, it was so dark it could be felt. But the Israelis had light in their camp because God was their light. And they were spared from that plague. But sometimes God's people in this day are not spared from the darkness. But there is within us a joy and a hope and a confidence. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He gives songs in the night. In the night seasons, God is at work to produce a beautiful thing. Like the night blooming Sirius. This amazing flower. It only can be found in the dark. So what might God be doing in the dark times of our life? Well, let's look at this passage again. The apostle Paul has been given the amazing privilege of being caught up to the third heaven, says verse 2 of this passage. And he says, I cannot tell you. It would not be right for me to tell you what I heard there. And so what an experience that must have been, huh? Caught up to paradise, caught up to the throne of God. He says, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. He was so overwhelmed. He didn't understand the precise details. Was it a vision? Was it a literal transport? He says, I'm not sure. All I know is I cannot utter to you what I heard and saw. And apparently it wasn't time for us to know these things. But we're going to see it too one day. And he says, I have received such revelations, verse 7, an abundance of revelations from God. There was the danger that I was going to be puffed up. So now that tells me something, brothers and sisters. Even apostles can be tempted to pride. Even a man like the apostle Paul can be pulled out of the right place and pulled into a place he shouldn't be, a place of conceitedness, a place of pride and arrogance. He says, I was seeing things that people don't see. I was given revelations from God. And lest I be exalted above measure. It was right to give apostles their respect. After all, they were very unique men for a very unique time. And we ought to greatly treasure the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ because it was them that God gave the privilege of writing down the scriptures. So we do exalt them in a sense. We praise God for those faithful men that penned his words that we have today. But we can exalt them too highly. He says, I didn't want to be exalted above measure, not higher than I should have been. I should have been low, not high. And so in order for God not to let me get high, listen, He stuck a thorn in me. He allowed a messenger of Satan to put in me a thorn in my flesh. I take it to be a chronic physical ailment that was brought to him by Satan or a messenger of Satan, but that was allowed through the providence of God to keep his apostle humble. So Satan was the immediate cause, but God was the ultimate cause. And that's always the case, beloved. If Satan comes against any of God's people, he is a evil, lying murderer. And he comes to do his evil will, but over his purposes is the sovereign God who allows him a little bit of chain, a little bit of chain, just a little bit of a leash, and God stops him in his tracks. Satan is the immediate cause, but God is the ultimate cause. God is greater than Satan. Amen? And Satan's malicious and evil plans are his plans, but they accomplish God's purposes. Isn't that amazing? And the best example, of course, is the cross. Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Here's what he says. Acts chapter 2, 22 through 24. I'll read it. You, you can turn there with me. Acts 2:22 through 24 The greatest evil act ever perpetrated on planet earth the crucifixion of Jesus And yet what does Peter the apostle preach in this Pentecostal sermon what does he say Well just pulling out a few verses Acts 2:22 Ye men of Israel hear these words that he should be held by it. So with wicked hands, these wicked men put Jesus to death, spat on him, stripped him of his clothes, mocked him, whipped him, pierced his hands and feet, and sat and watched him bleed out in agony. What a wicked act. And yet Peter says, he was delivered to you By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Evil men was the immediate cause, but God was the ultimate cause. The crucifixion of Jesus was his preordained plan before time began. Jesus would come and die on a cross to redeem a great multitude of people. And the wicked plans of men didn't stop that plan, they were guilty, they would be judged for it, they were culpable. What they did was wrong and evil and vile, and yet they were but carrying out the plan of God to accomplish a great miracle, the miracle of salvation. I don't understand how all that works. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You come to me with a situation, and you say, what about this scenario? And you give me a horrible tragedy that is a real tragedy that some vile person did. God could have killed them before he did it, but somehow he let them do it. And he will deal with them one day. But but somehow, in this case at least, this was the plan of God. Such a vile thing that men would crucify Jesus was the plan of God. I don't understand how all that works out, but, but I'm glad God understands it. I don't understand much at all. But I understand this, that... Beautiful things come out of the dark. That was a dark day when Jesus died. And yet what has sprang forth? What grew from that blood that's hit the ground? What come forth? Just a multitude that no man can number from every tongue and tribe and nation that will be delivered out of Satan's bondage and brought before the throne of God one day to praise the lamb who died and rose. That's the harvest that came out of that darkness. Beauty comes from the dark, beloved. And so we see the apostle. He is given these visions, these revelations, the abundance of them. That's one characteristic of an apostle. He will say in another place, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. God gave these men unique credentials for a unique purpose at a unique time. They were the foundation of the church. They would write scripture. They would be able to be reminded by the Holy Spirit of all that Jesus said. They would recall it with perfect precision and they would write it down for us so that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four gospels of all that Jesus said and did that he wants us to know. The Holy Spirit enabled them to remember those things in great detail. So these apostles were given great revelations and they were also given great suffering. How did the apostles die? How did they end their earthly ministries? Was it in a palace somewhere surrounded by riches and adoring fans? No, it was the opposite. They were beaten, clubbed to death, beheaded. They were Attacked in the most vile ways by men. They died martyrs. The first followers of Jesus, the first handpicked men that he picked, the twelve. Well, take Judas out. The eleven, the most faithful, the first followers of Jesus, followed in his footsteps well, didn't they? They took up the cross and they followed. And many of them, they were martyred. John lived to be an old man. And he's exiled out on a desert, desolate island, the Isle of Patmos. And probably abandoned to die there as an old man. And while he's there, he gets the revelation of Jesus Christ. He gets the last book of the Bible. And he writes it down for us. And so something beautiful came out of the dark there with John. Let's come back to Paul. Paul prays three times. Does that sound familiar? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Oh Lord, please take this, thorn. And the second time, and the third time. Does that remind you of anybody that prayed three times? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the Messiah, says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he comes back and he finds Peter and James and John asleep. And he says, wake up. Can't you watch with, with me for one hour? And he goes a stone's throw away and he prays again the second time the same thing. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he comes back and they're asleep again. The third time he comes and he prays the same words. And he comes back and he says, let us rise now. The one who is to betray me is at hand. And here comes Judas with the soldiers into the Garden of Gethsemane. It was literally dark, and it was literally a dark time for the Lord Jesus. And as he prayed, his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. And Paul, like Jesus, prays three times for whatever this thorn was to pass. And I take it the lesson is to be for us, beloved. Here's the lesson. Keep praying about it. Pray until God answers. Pray and pray and pray again. And God answered Paul. And the answer was no. I'm not going to take the thorn, but I'm going to give you something else, Paul. I'm going to give you such an abundance of my power that my power is going to be perfected in your weakness. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still talking about the apostle Paul. The power of God was upon his life to hold him up in a time of weakness. And we're still amazed at him and people like Fanny Crosby. A blind woman who wrote thousands of hymns that we still sing today. How is that possible? How could she write hymns? How could she not be a bitter skeptic? God let her lose her sight. Surely she will curse God now. Surely she will deny the Lord and say, there is no God. No, she will write 5,000 hymns and say, I shall know him, I shall know him. When redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. My eyes will be fixed on that day and I will see my Lord. And God's strength was made perfect in a little weak blind woman, Fanny Crosby. God's strength was made perfect in a paralyzed woman named Johnny Erickson Tada, who as a teenager dove off into the water and hit a rock, broke her neck. And who went through a great time of saying, why did God let, let me do that? And why doesn't God heal me? And many were coming to tell her, God may heal you. And she said, I want him to heal me. And I believe he will. And yet in that case, he didn't. And she's still alive, right? And she has gone through numerous cancers since then. And she, in a wheelchair, puts a paintbrush in her mouth and paints and sings. And she has a worldwide ministry to people that can identify with a paralyzed woman, Johnny and friends. And she speaks in great stadiums of people that are wheeled in there in wheelchairs. And she says, let's see. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. And they lift up their voices and they praise God and his strength is made perfect in their their weakness. And she says, one day I'm going to throw this wheelchair into hell. One day I'm going to throw this wheelchair into hell and I'm going to leap leap and skip on the streets of heaven. (laughs) And she will. You can be sure of it. I think of so many beloved saints that I have known personally that were not famous like Fanny Crosby or famous like Johnny Tata, Johnny Erickson Tata, but they just keep going. It's dark and it's night, and you ask them, "Why is this happening to you?" and their answer is, "I don't know. I don't know, but I've learned some things in the dark." Here's, here's what happens in the dark. When the troubles come, it strips a lot of stuff off of us. All this, some of this, some of this self-stuff we'll call it. Self-confidence. Self-reliance. Self-promotion. And the trouble has hit us, and we're so overwhelmed by it. We're not standing up here tall beside Jesus anymore saying, Boy, we. We're partners here, Lord. We've done a, we're low at his feet. We've melted, as it were, at his feet. And we are forced, beloved, aren't we? We're forced to depend fully on him. And something unexpected happens in that darkness. We find an amazing discovery there. When it's the power of me and my strong faith and my confidence. There's a little bit too much of me in that equation, but when I'm melted there low at his feet and there's no hope except him and there's no light except him, there is a strange fellowship that that suffering believer has when he senses the power of God in his weakness. The power of God is known then in such a way It's very different when the power of you was sufficient. There's a new beauty that comes then, a new perspective, a new compassion. Isn't that the way it works? When you go through something that's horrible and he holds you when you can't even hold yourself. And then afterwards, when you get a little bit of respite and you catch your breath a little bit, you see another brother or sister that's going through something similar, how do you view them now? You have so much compassion now that you didn't have before. You have a, a ministry now to them, a ministry of real compassion. You know what they have felt because you felt it. Your pain has given you a new tenderness and a new compassion. Now it won't be automatic that that happens because I have known many, and you have too, that have gone through things that did curse God. And you can get on the internet and you can read about all these people that are deconverting. They used to be Christians, they say, but now they have deconverted back to an atheist or an agnostic or whatever. They say, yeah, I used to be a Christian, but this awful thing happened or or this season of my life happened and now I'm not a Christian at all. Of course, if they ever were saved, they'll come back. But the scriptures would tell us that if they go away from Jesus, they never were his to start with. They were just deceived. Because he will hold his people fast, and he will, if we wander, he will bring us back. Some of you know that. He'll bring us back, won't he? He'll bring us back. He will be faithful. So we pray and keep praying. And God may say, yes. God may say, I'm about sick of that thorn too. I'm going to have it take it out. In fact, one day that's what he's going to say about all his people. One day there will be no more sickness. And when Jesus was here, he healed a lot of sick people, didn't he? I don't know if you've watched The Chosen or not, the series. You you should watch it. I highly recommend it. Get the app. You can watch it. The app's free and you can watch it free on your iPad, your iPhone, or your TV, or your laptop, or your desktop, or whatever else there is. There is a day in there where Jesus heals all day long. They just keep bringing them to him and he just keeps healing them. The commentators call that the long day. You can read about it in the Gospels. Just nonstop. All the region around about. They brought all their sick to him and it says he healed them all. And John MacArthur says he practically drove out sickness in the Holy Land during his three years of ministry. Everybody that came to him was healed. Do we long to see him still do that for our loved ones? Absolutely. We're going to pray for a woman in a minute in that, on that line. I've seen a lot of good, godly people that wasn't healed. They got a thorn in the flesh and it, Stayed with them for years, and then they went to heaven. And there they shed the thorn, finally. (laughs) Finally, no more thorns. But we pray, and we ask, and he may say yes, and he may say, I'm going to give you something instead. I'm going to give you an abundance of grace. Grace that will enable you, help, divine help that will sustain you with this thorn. And it will be sufficient for you. And Paul was so convinced that that was right and that was better. He says, now let me tell you something. I've stopped praying for thorns to be taken away. And instead I have started to thank God for the thorn. In fact, he says, I boast now in my weakness. And I boast in, in fact, when you read verse 10, you can hardly believe it. He mentions five things that he takes pleasure in. He's content with these things now. He's content with infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and difficulties. Verse 10. How can you be content with those things? Because for Christ's sake, in my weakness, he is pleased to show his power. And if Christ is getting the glory through my weakness, then hallelujah for weakness, Paul says. That's what he says. This is the passage. And so we see God is sovereign. He's on his throne ruling over every bit of this. What does he do? Look at it. He lets Paul see revelations. God did that. He allows Satan to get at Paul for a temporary time and for limited measure to a limited extent, just like he did with Job. God says, Satan, you can touch this, but you can't touch this. And you can touch his health, but you can't take his life. And You can do this much, but no more. God is sovereign even over what he allows Satan to do for a little little bit of time. He is sovereign over prayer. Paul prays, and in prayer, God says no, and sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says wait, not yet. God is sovereign, isn't he? Well, I, I say this, if apostles need humbling... If God's apostles need to be humbled, I wonder where that puts us. Does God need to work a humbling in all of us? Well, I'd say yes all the time. Just all the time. So in the dark, where you are right now, brother, sister, there are some beautiful things going to come. God will see to it. There was a man who was blind. I didn't mention him earlier, but George Matheson was a a blind preacher. And when he began to lose his sight, he was married to a woman who decided she didn't want to be married to a blind man. And so she left him. And out of that experience, he wrote that song we still sing today. He wrote, Oh, love that will not let me go. He wrote about the love of God that though he would lose his eyesight, he would never lose his God. Friends would fail him. Spouses would fail. Uh, The dearest one to him would, would not be by his side, but God would be there. George Matheson wrote, Despise not the school of sorrow. It will give you a unique part in the universal song. Despise not the school of sorrow, for it will give you a unique part in the universal song. So as we go through dark seasons of sorrow, one day that sorrow is going to turn into a song. Something beautiful is going to come out of the dark. But what I really loved that George Matheson wrote was poem number 102 here in my Bible. George Matheson Wrote these beautiful words. Many a rapturous minstrel, you know what a minstrel is? M I N S T R E L, a singer, a musician, a minstrel. And he's talking here about a rapturous minstrel, a minstrel that's so full of joy, they overflow in song. Many a rapturous minstrel before, or excuse me, among the sons of light, many a rapturous minstrel among the sons of light will say of their sweetest music, I learned it in the night. And many a rolling anthem that fills the Father's throne sobbed at its first rehearsal in the shade of a darkened room. So in this dark room, they rehearse this song and all they can do is sob as they rehearse it. It doesn't sound like much of a song. It's just a sob in the dark. But now it rolls up and it fills the Father's throne with a rolling anthem of praise to him. So said the blind man. Many a rapturous minstrel among the sons of light will say of their sweetest music, I learned it in the night. And many a rolling anthem that fills the Father's throne sobbed at its first rehearsal in the shroud of a darkened room. I love the words. I love the the, the, the lesson that that teaches. Beautiful things growing in the dark. Beautiful things that God is doing in the dark. He is at work in the night seasons. So here's Joseph's brothers. They hate him. You ever been hated by somebody? They literally hate you. They hate your guts, we would say. They detest you beyond their words to describe it. Joseph's brothers hated him and could not speak to him peaceably because they were jealous. Joseph's father favored him. And so his brothers said, I've seen about enough. How about you? And they said, we've seen more than we want to see. So they come up with this scheme. They're going to kill him. But somebody persuades them not to kill him, and so they say, Well, let's, okay, then let's sell him to this caravan going down to Egypt and be done with this brat that the father has pampered and given this coat of many colors, his favorite son. And so he goes down to Egypt, and they take this beautiful robe of many colors and they put blood all over it, and they take it back to daddy, and they say, Is this your son's robe? Is this Joseph's robe? And he said, It looks like it. And they said, we're sorry, Father. A beast tore him all to pieces in the desert. And Jacob says, I'll go down to my grave with sorrow for my boy. But Joseph's not dead. He's in Egypt. And he'll wind up in prison for a couple of years. And eventually he'll come out of prison. And God will give him such wisdom and such favor in Egypt that Pharaoh will make him second in command. And he'll give Joseph such insight and such management skills that he will stockpile the crops for seven years while they're producing, because he has seen in the interpreting of Pharaoh's dream that there's seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so the seven years of plenty happen, and Joseph stockpiles massive piles of food, and then the seven years of leanness or famine comes, and. Everybody's starving. And Jacob says, go down, my sons, to Egypt and see if you can get us something to eat. And they get down there. And just to make the story short, it's one of my favorite stories, isn't it? If you had not read Genesis 37 through 50 lately, go back and read that again. Genesis chapter 37 through 50, the story of Joseph and his brothers. And he gets there and he eventually reveals himself to them and he says, I'm Joseph. And they look at each other. I'm your brother. I'm alive. God sent me before you to preserve your life. Here's what he said, Genesis 50:20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What you did was wrong, brothers. It was evil for you to hate me and treat me like you did. But God was sending me ahead of you to preserve your life. And through Joseph's skill, he preserved the Egyptians and he preserved the the Israelite nation. He preserved the people of God so that one day the Messiah would be born. What if they had died out in famine? But Joseph was provided as the ruler, as a type of Jesus, feeding his people, sustaining them, even in famine. Genesis fifty twenty. even at the darkest times, God is at work. What others mean for evil, God means for good. Amen? He is at work in the dark. I'll close with this. <clears throat> Martha Snell Nicholson is a wonderful Christian writer. And I have shared this with you before, but it's one of my favorites, and so I'm going to do it again. It's uh, entitled The Thorn, and she writes, I stood a mendicant of God, that means a beggar, I stood like a beggar before God, and let me start again, I stood a mendicant of God before his royal throne. And asked him for one priceless gift that I could call my own. I took the gift from out of his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, Lord, this is a thorn. And it has pierced my heart. This is a strange and hurtful gift that you have given to me. He said, My child, I give good gifts. I give good gifts, and I gave my best to you. I took it home, and though at first this cruel thorn hurt sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned, I learned, he never gives a thorn without this added grace He takes the thorn and pins aside the veil which hides his face. In this life, we walk, as it were, looking through a veil. We see but dimly. We don't see much. We don't see as we're going to see. We're looking through a glass darkly. We're looking through a veil. But when we hurt, when we suffer, when it's dark, sometimes that thorn is the means that God uses to move the veil just a little bit, and we see him a little better we know him a little better we enjoy what the apostle Paul described the fellowship of his sufferings the fellowship of his sufferings nobody's ever suffered like Jesus and sometimes he lets us enter into into that strange fellowship of suffering and somehow a joy a peace a comfort a tenderness A perspective, a clarity happens there in the dark. And we may not even be able to fully explain it. It may be joy unspeakable. It may be such a joy that we'd be like, I I can't really explain this to you. I can't fully tell you how God is sustaining me during this time. All I can say is I'm thankful for this valley and I'm thankful for this night season. God be praised. Amen. Praise be to our Lord.